This is good old boy Mike from Sips, Suds, and Smokes podcast, and you're listening to Pop Goes Your World. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 143, Pop Culture Pet Peeves. I'm Chris McBrien, along with Derek Myers, and this is Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. You know, around here, we like to we like to build our community, and so we want you to join our community, and you can join us on Twitter, at Amaron underscore DM for Derek, or you can connect with me on Twitter, at C McBrien. We've got a Facebook page, for just look up Pop Goes Your World, or you can head over to our website, popgoesyourworld.com. Uh, Derek, what's going on in the world of pop culture in your world this week, hey. my friend? Haven't seen you in two weeks. How's everything going? Uh, it's going well, thanks. It was uh, it was nice to have a little break. Uh, I'm actually on yeah. vacation right yes. now. I got Me a few too. weeks off. Yeah, so uh, so that's, that's nice. nice. I mean, we just had Canada Day, first of July, and uh, happy the birthday. American holiday. Happy birthday, Canada! Yes. <laughs> Uh, our, our neighbors to the south have uh, July 4th coming up here in a couple of days. So this is always a good uh, good time to be off. Everyone's in that celebratory spirit. Um, you know, the weather's usually nice this time of year in, uh, in North America. So always, always nice to be off. So, yeah, since I'm on vacation, I've had a, a chance to, to watch a few things and um, – one of the one of the things I had suggested to my wife said, "Look, it can be off for three weeks. I need I need a project, or I need something to watch, something I can binge watch, something to keep me busy. If the weather's poor, if I'm up late at night, or whatever." And I said, "You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go back and watch all of the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies from from the first one, Iron Man, to the last one with the Avengers." And um, how many movies so in total? It was like 14 well, or something. Isn't off the top of my head, I want to say it's like 21. Oh, my goodness. There's a lot. And That's so a lot of movies I, to watch. And But we own them all on Blu-ray. So I said, you know what? I know some of them are available through streaming services. But I said, I'm mm-hmm. going to watch them on the Blu-ray. I'm going to try and do one a day every day. That should get me pretty much through the three weeks. There you go. And I was pretty good. The first three or four days, we watched uh, – uh, she watched a couple of them with me. So we watched Iron Man. I watched Incredible Hulk. watched Iron Man 2. Watch Thor, and then did you watch uh, them in uh, order of their their cinematic release? Is that yes, order yeah. of cinematic okay. release, and which which is a hotly debated topic about do you watch them in the order they were released or do you watch them chronologically? Because some of the stories take place uh, uh, chronologically around some of the events in the other stories. So, for example, I just started watching Captain America: The First Avenger earlier tonight, and that's all about uh, World War II. So chronologically, that comes before Iron Man, which was what 2008, 2009. So, super fans have have their their theories and their ideas about the best way to experience these movies. Personally. I'm just going to watch them in the order they were released in the theater. That's easiest for me. That's sure. the order I watch them originally. That's the order that I know I enjoy them. And yeah, it's movies like Iron Man, the first one. I've seen it a dozen times. So for me, that was an easy ride. But then The Incredible Hulk and Iron Man 2, I've only seen those ones a couple of times. So in some ways, it was like experiencing them again for the, a lot of the parts that I couldn't remember. 
but uh, no, I've been having a good time with it. And then um, a few nights ago, the movie Fargo was on uh, one of the channels. So, like the midnight movie was Fargo. And I was like, oh, I haven't seen this in a while. Maybe I'll just watch the first little part. And I was like, yeah, I watched the full movie and I, th- I I forgot how good it was. It's like, wow, it was it's a quality program. Uh, I assume you've seen the movie Fargo. Oh yes, that's uh, that one was with him with um, Francis McDormand. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it is. That's a good movie, man. That's a yeah, really good, good movie. It, it has a great supporting cast too. Again, a, a lot of the performers when I um, when I saw it, I was like, oh yeah, I forgot this person's in this. Oh yeah, I forgot that person's in this. Because it's like uh, William H Macy and Steve Buscemi and, and yeah. people like that. Oh yeah, it's good. Yeah, a lot of good. Yeah. And then uh, one last thing. So in um, in Canada here on July first. One of the local radio channels on long weekends and um, and days like Canada Day, they always do special programming. And having seen the behind the scenes of how radio stations work, a lot of times – and Chris, you know this. You worked in radio. In order to give people time off, you will pre the, – the stations will pre-record or, or pre-program certain – Topic. So one of the local channels here, they do every long weekend is all ladies weekend and all the regular DJs get the long weekend off and people get to hear all their favorite 80s tunes. So for Canada Day, uh, which was yesterday, they did the top 100 Canadian songs of all time nice. as voted by the listeners. And it's a channel that does like 70s, 80s and 90s. And uh, so what do you think made the top? Five. Let's top ten. How many do you think? Okay. How many songs do you think you can name in the Canadian top ten? If, okay. if we're putting you on the spot here. So the Canadian top ten. Um, I'll say something by the Guess Who. Maybe American Woman would be in the top ten. Uh, yes, it was number yes. three. Oh, see, I'm good. Uh, uh, Summer of '69 by Brian Adams. Number one. Yes, that's what I thought would be number one. It was uh, number one last year, so yeah. that was kind of a cheat. Okay. We knew that. We figured it would be again because right. they do this every year. I, I don't. I don't know the station you're talking about because we don't live sure. in the same city, so I don't have sure. that advantage. Uh, so I got two of them. Uh, let me just think if there's anything else. Uh, Taking care of business by Bachman Turner Overdrive. Yep, number six. Nice. Look at this. You got yeah. you got one, three, and six so far. Uh, what else would be on that list? I know um, there's a Canadian band you're not a big fan of that everyone and their mother loves except for you. They they've got uh, three songs in the top ten. Uh, it's got to be the tragically hip, right? It is the tragically yeah, hip. Figured. Any guesses on? Do you, or do you not know their I music at all? I don't know. Uh, Bob Cajun was number two. Uh, New Orleans is sinking was number five and the Wheat Kings was number nine. Uh, Also making the list. uh, If I had a million dollars by the bare naked ladies, number 10, Tom Sawyer by rush. Number eight, Mm -hmm. Uh, heart of gold by Neil Neil Young. Number seven, uh, taking care of business. You already said number six, New Orleans Mm -hmm. sinking five life is a highway. Tom Cochran, number four. Okay. And and then American woman, Bob Cajun, summer 69. Yeah. And it was a lot of fun. We were trying to guess the songs and we pretty much had all the songs in the top 20 guests, but we didn't know sort of the order that, they fell in so it was a lot of fun to to be doing this uh you know out in the pool in the yard had a few cold beverages nice. it just it gave our, our canada day celebration a little extra uh of fun so uh if people are interested this was done by uh, boom 97.3 in toronto and if you go to their website the top 100 list is available you can either download as a pdf or just scroll through it i uh, just gotta remember it was voted on by the listeners so there's a couple of songs you're like there's no way this should be as high or as mm-hmm. low on this list Hey, the listeners are finicky, so. You know, anyway. two songs that I think I would be in my top 10 for sure, probably top five too, one yeah. for sure would be, is, okay, so one Canadian song I like is Don't Forget Me When I'm Gone by Glass Tiger. I'm sure that was on the list. It's Glass so Tiger good. was oh, very so well good. represented here. I'm going to scroll through. What, what's your other one? My other one that would probably make my top five of all time, it's one of my favorite 80s songs of all time, is um, Honeymoon Suites, Feel It Again. 
Oh, I love that song. Oh, that song uh, so was good. not as represented on this list as I thought they would be. Uh, by the way, Don't You Forget About Me by Glass Tiger, <laughs> number 69. Jeez, <laughs> oh, that's too low. And Sorry, what was the other one? Honeymoon Suite? Feel was, it again. Uh, feel it again. I, I, I don't think that made the list. Uh, I'm only seeing a couple of uh, well, the, 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 the listeners, their listeners are wrong. So I mean, what do you want? Yeah. Um, for me, my kids have found a new show that they'd like to watch on Netflix. And it's called The Floor is Lava. Have Someone you, just told me about this. Have okay, you, you've heard on. about this, then, have you? I, just yesterday, somebody told me about this. Yeah. It basically consists of a team of three people, and they have to go through an obstacle course. It looks like a living room, but instead of a floor, there's all this red water that's supposed to be lava. So the people, they have to go through this room, and they jump across the furniture, and then they swing from ropes and stuff like that to try and avoid touching the floor. And if they fall in, then they sink into the lava Right. And they've obviously been coached in regard to how they're supposed to react if they fall in because they always sink in like they're like they're dying and only they go underneath. And I'll be perfectly honest. I'm actually rooting for them to fall in. Yeah. Like I mentioned yeah. to my kids, I was like, like this one guy, he, he jumped across from one thing to another. And then I was like, oh, wow, he, oh, my God, he's so lucky his feet didn't touch. His feet would have been burned off. He wouldn't have been able to walk around. And my kids are like, oh, daddy, just stop. Uh, you know, and I'm like, uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm like, I don't know how they could do this show. It would be so hot in that room with all that lava. I'm like, I'm like daddy, stop. It's not real. <laughs> you know, so I don't know where this idea of the saying, the floor is lava. I don't know where it comes from. Did you ever heard? You know where it comes from? Well, I remember as a little kid, it was just a game we would play exactly like you're describing it. It's like my brother and I would jump around on the furniture. You can't touch the carpet to floor is lava or you'd be at the playground and you'd be like going from the swing to the slides to the whatever. And you'd be like, ground is lava, ground is lava, can't touch it. You played this? I, you played oh, I've never even yeah. heard of it. I never oh, heard yeah. of it until I'm thinking, is this like a... Is this like a Gen Z thing or something? Like, like it's oh, like no, the kids no, say, no, you know, no. like like you're fat, you know, P H A T. Like the kids yeah, say, no, I, no. I thought it was something like that. I remember, I remember playing variations of this in the late '70s and early '80s with my friends, and I can remember visiting relatives in other other cities, and it's like, Are you guys ever play Floors Live? And they're like, all the time. So it definitely wasn't as localized as you might think either. Um, but yeah, my buddy was telling me about this and he said same thing. He's like, his kids have been watching it. And he said, now I've got a project. My backyard is all the floor is lava obstacle courses. He's like, my kids are loving it. <laughs> See, I, I, was like, I just thought it was more of a newer thing. I like it. It was like kids today, you know, this, I don't know kids, but either way, kids today should not be saying the floor is lava. You know, who should be saying the floor is lava kids in like. Pompeii in 79 AD. They should say the floor is lava. Oh, man. We're, we're at the dad joke part already? Uh, yeah, it's time for, of course, that. So uh, here's your dad joke of the week. All right, here it is. Derek, why did the lava rock quit his job at the volcano? Um, I have no idea. They took him for granite. And I think I think kids today are weird. Who would win in a fight between Celine Dion and Justin Bieber? Like love hate relationship? What does that even mean? Hey man, ten bucks is ten bucks. I think it's getting warmer in here. Oh. You ever notice in movies they never look at the road when they're driving? We've never been separated right. before. <laughs> nice effects, eh? Hey, maybe this Tim Hortons donut will change your mind, eh? Take so off, eh? They walk in on the parents doing it. No, no, I'm not doing that. I don't do that. Okay, so Derek, you Chris. and I, yes, you and I love pop culture, obviously. Okay, that's why we very do this much, podcast so very much. Yes. And it's our fifth season too, so we obviously love pop culture a lot. 
You know, I think, but you know, with everything that we love in life, we also, like most people, have certain pet peeves, you know, that go along with things, you know, and that includes pop culture, right? So there's always things that come up, not necessarily things that we hate, you know, per se, but just things that are mildly annoying, you know, those pet peeves, as it were. So we decided to run down our top five pop culture pet peeves on this episode. So do you want to kick us off with your number five pop culture pet peeve? And then we'll work our way up to number one. Uh, Your number five pop culture We have no limits on this. It can be about anything pop culture related. Anything at all. It can be big. It can be small. And I've actually mentioned a few of these pet peeves on previous episodes, one of which I'll talk about a little later, sort of as an honorable mention, because I don't want to go over it again. But uh, the first one on my list, uh, again, Normally we do like a, a f- number five through number one with number one being the best. And this right. one, there really is no particular order for this one. Uh, so I'm just going to throw them out in the order in which I, I wrote them down. Sure. So I, I mentioned this one before. My number five pet peeve is overusing characters' names. So in a, especially this is obviously this is mostly for television. And when a new show first comes on the air, the characters on the show refer to each other by their names, and in many cases, their full names, professional titles, if it's a rank, if it's like military or something like that, and it's ridiculous. It is so, um, it is it is not, it doesn't flow well. It's completely unnatural. It really makes the scene and the dialogue feel scripted and unnatural, but I understand why creators of shows do this because they don't know how how long people are going to watch their show. They want you to they want you to watch it. They want you to keep watching it. And a big part of why people will watch a show is if they like the characters. Well, obviously you need to know what the characters' names are. And this was a bigger problem pre-internet when you couldn't just go to IMDb and look them up and go, oh, that actor's playing a character name, blah blah blah. And yeah, this this always bugs me with the overuse of the name. And I've used this example before. Star Trek The Next Generation is like one of the worst ones for this. If you watch the first dozen episodes from season one of Star Trek Next Gen, every character refers to every other character by full name, full title, full rank. It is terrible. And then by about the second or third season, they start referring to them a little more colloquially. They use their first names or they they call them by their rank, which seems a little more in keeping with the the, the atmosphere on that show. But I, I said that to my wife. I'm like, when, when was the last time I actually addressed you by name when we spoke? And she's like, I, I honestly don't remember. It's been so long. And then for the next 20 minutes, we deliberately referred to each other by name every time we wanted to do like, <laughs> you know, she would say like, Derek, I'm getting up to get a drink. Derek, I have to go and use the restroom. Derek, uh, did you get this? Out? You know, it's like it, it seems so unnatural. And of course, we both laughed because it's so dumb. But yeah, that's my number five pet peeve is the overuse of first names and full names when characters speak to each other. You are on to something, my friend, because recently, uh, I think I told you on a, just a couple episodes ago, we wanted to find a new show to watch and a new show, something new to him for my, my oldest son, he's 11, to watch at night before bedtime. So we started watching different strokes from the Oh 70s. yeah. Are you still watching it? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. He, he thinks Excellent. it's great. He thinks it's great. But you're right. In the first couple episodes, those kids use the, the name Mr. Drummond. Like 500 times in a half hour episode. You are totally right. You were onto something here. I like that one. Okay, my number five. ADR. I don't know if you've ever heard that term, Derek. Have you ever heard it's that? It's a musical before? thing, isn't it? No, it's it's called additional 
dialogue recording. It happens in every movie. It's something that just, it has to be done. However, sometimes it's done really poorly and I always notice it. Okay. And it's a pet peeve of mine. So when they shoot a scene in a movie, sometimes the dialogue doesn't quite work out. Like it could get a little muffled. The mic might cut out. Maybe there's wind or ambient noise that could obscure the sound quality in some way. Or maybe the actor just used poor enunciation and diction in a word, you know, you know, just whatever. So regardless of the reason, poor audio quality and audio drops are just part of the movie making business. All right. So to make up for it, the actors then go back into the studio and do what's called loops. Okay, so they go back in. Oh, and okay. Yeah, they okay. re-record. Exactly yeah, they yes. re-record the lines of the dialogue so that they can be overdubbed onto the final film, so the dialogue quality is better because it's obviously a lot easier to get good quality dialogue in a sound studio with a condenser microphone than it is when you're hanging off the edge of a cliff or something, right? Sure. So I have Absolutely. no, I have no problem with the practice of doing loops in an ADR. It's very common, but there's so many times in movies, TV where the audio doesn't sync up with the actor's lips in the scenes. It's something minor, but I see it all the time. Even the greatest movies of all time have this in it. Just last week, I mentioned my, I let my son watch Jaws for the first time. And it, you know, it's in my top, you know, three films of all time, right? So, but I even noticed watching it a few times on the Orca where you could see the ADR didn't sync up. It's again, it's nothing too major, but being a former actor myself and a big movie buff, it's something I always notice. And it's my number five pop culture pet peeve. Nice. Uh, The only thing I want to add to that, because Mm -hmm. I, I don't I don't have a pet peeve with what you've described. The part of this that I have a pet peeve is when they do the overdub with the dialogue and the and the volume is slightly off. So although the lips are moving in the correct like they're they're following what's being said. It's abundantly clear that this audio was not part of the original scene because it's maybe a little bit louder or a little bit quieter. Yes. Um, or often what they might do is like if two people are speaking, when they cut to the other person, the the person who's no longer on screen will add another sentence in. Maybe it was something that wasn't in the original dialogue, but they needed to clarify it for the scene. And yeah, it it definitely sounds off and yeah. different from the rest of it. That bugs me more than what you're talking about. Mm. But yeah, I can I can totally get where you're coming from yeah. on this one. That's part of it. Good addition. There. All right. All right. Number, number four. four. Yeah. This might seem silly. This might seem simple. But my number four is hats. Okay. <laughs> okay. So what do I mean by hats? <laughs> Please explain. So, Chris, yes. I live in Canada. You, you do. live in Canada. We do. And in January in Canada, it's damn cold. Freezing. Like, ridiculously cold and i don't care how pretty you think your hair needs to be you need to wear a hat when it's cold out because it's cold out put a damn hat on and everybody does because why would you not you don't want your ears to fall off you need to wear a hat when the weather's poor and often on shows they will have characters in extreme weather conditions and they won't have hats because you want to show the star's Face. You want people to be able to see that, oh, this is the star. It, this happens a lot with military movies or science fiction movies where they have helmets when it's like people in uniforms. Same thing. It's like, well, we can't put a helmet on Tom Cruise. You have to be able to see his beautiful hair and his smile and you have to know it's Tom Cruise. So all the other grunts are in full battle gear, full helmets and everything. And then you have, you know, the star comes into the scene. No hat, no helmet. And I understand from a marketing point of view, 
you want to make sure the audience knows who that is, but it's just so dumb. Like clearly your character's wearing body armor. You don't think that they, the bad guys realize, Hey, that guy's got body armor. Don't shoot him in the body. Shoot him in the head where he doesn't have a helmet. He's not protected. (laughs) And game of Thrones was like the worst for the hats. So all the characters march North of the wall and it's like, Oh, it's the coldest it's ever been. And winter is coming. Can't put a hat on Jon Snow. Oh my God, if, if you can't see his pretty hair, we may not know who it is. He's the star. Don't put a hat on that guy. Oh, that bugs me so much. It's It seems like such a little thing, but oh my God, does it tick me off. Well, that's my number four, hats and helmets. Gotta wear them, guys. Sorry. I like gals, it. It's mostly the guys. Yeah, I like it. I'm on a related note, don't, don't ask me why. I don't know why I ever went to see this movie, but I actually went to the theater and watched Alien versus Predator. It was in like 2004 or something like that. And I remember there was a scene in there where they were in Antarctica. Yes. And they're running around with no hats. And I was like, what the hell is all going on? It's Antarctica. If you think Canada's cold, man, you got to check out Antarctica. They're wearing parkas. They're wearing yeah. gloves. It's like, if it's cold enough that you need gloves, it's cold enough that you need a hat. Put on a yeah. hat. That's a yeah. good one. No, right. It bugs me. It bugs yeah. me. It so good. much bugs me. Gotta love it. Okay, my number four. This one comes from our recent episode that we did when we reviewed Strange Brew, the Mackenzie Brothers movie. There's okay. a scene in the movie where the guys are driving uh, their van. And Bob says to Doug, you ever notice in movies when they're driving and they never look at the road? And when I mentioned that scene, you were like, yeah, I hate that. So I don't know if I'm going to steal your thunder on a later. That was one of my honorable mentions. I already talked about it. I'm like, I'm not talking about it again. Well, go on, go on. So that's the thing. Like it's my number, you know, it's my number four pop culture pet peeve because you see it all the time. All it's the time. In movies and in TV shows, there's always a scene where the characters are in a vehicle, they're driving down the road, and they never look at the road properly. Just like Doug McKenzie said, you know, he, he goes, that's because they're not really driving, eh? They're being towed. Yeah. Derek, I'm telling you, I have two kids, and I do a lot of driving. We go up to the trailer basically every weekend in the summer. I, I tell, I, I'm telling you, when I'm driving, I watch the road. Yeah. Like, even if my kids are asking me stuff, I pretty much just... You know, briefly, just kind of quickly answer. I keep my eyes focused on driving. But in the movies and on TV, there's these scenes where the driver of the car never watches the road. I know they're actors, you know, but you're going to tell me like they've never driven a car before. You know, like, I mean, they they, they should have to know you got to watch the road when you drive. I mean, some of them look like aliens that are trying to do a task that they've never done before. Like, I don't, maybe it's a prop thing. I don't know. When I used to be a theater actor, I remember there was one guy I worked with. He just could not use props. Like he was just this bumbling mess on stage. He was a good actor, but he just couldn't work with props. And it got to the point in rehearsals. I remember where the director had to change the blocking and even change some of the lines in the script just to accommodate the fact that this guy would just like drop cups and stuff on stage. So I don't know, maybe like for movie actors driving, it's kind of like that. I don't know, but you sure see it a lot. And it's one of those things that once you think about it, you just, you cannot stop seeing it. Every time there's a scene with the driving and talking, I remember the movie, the Terminator. There's a scene when Reese and Sarah Connor are racing their car through LA Reese basically looks and is screaming at her the whole time. I'm like, I'm like, just look at the road once. Just once look at the road, you know? Now, I mean, he was from the future. Maybe they didn't have cars then. I don't know. But anyway, that's my number four pet peeve. Drivers yeah, uh, not looking at the road in movies and TV. The other thing, sort of just a slight tangent to that, is yes. when um, in a scene where they're driving and there's no um, rearview mirror, 
because like a lot of especially in older shows they would remove the mirror because it wasn't a real car it was like fabricated to look like a car and and it would block your view of the the actors actors or it would interfere with the shots they just remove it and all i keep thinking is okay now you're supposed to be in a car with no rear view mirror I would be looking over my shoulder every few minutes to make sure, or I'd be looking at my side mirrors. Yep. I'm not like now I have even more reason to be attentive to what's going on around me because I've lost my rear view mirror. So anyway, oh, yeah, no, that, that's a big bug for me and I'm glad you brought it up. So that was an honorable mention I was going to bring up, but now I don't have to. It was one of the things that actually kind of got me onto this topic in the first place. Cause we did that episode and I was like, you know what? That's a pet peeve for me actually movies. Oh, there's a few more. Let's do a whole show on it. So all right. Anyway. Okay. All right. Number three, what do you got? All right. My number three, uh, and I might be stepping on your toes on this one, but I think you're going to agree with me. When somebody wins an award and they basically say, well, this is a makeup award. It's not being awarded for what they did now. It's being awarded for the body of work that they never got proper acknowledgement for. And not to be confused with someone who is a makeup artist. Uh, You know, if you're a creature feature person and you're Rick Baker and you made the America, did he he do the American Marvel from London? He did. Uh, Yeah. You know, you do this groundbreaking makeup thing. Great award that all you want. But I mean, like when they say, well, Al Pacino needs an Oscar. Let's give it to him for Scent of a Woman. It's not really for Scent of a Woman. It's a makeup Oscar for these other six movies he didn't win for or Martin Scorsese. We're going to give him Best Director mm-hmm. for The Departed. Not necessarily his best work, but he hasn't been recognized until now. It's time to give him a makeup award. This bugs me to no end. Now, obviously, there's a lot of politics involved when it comes to these major awards. There's a lot of um, lobbying. There's a lot of, uh, you know, behind the scenes stuff going on. And there's a lot of dollars and cents that that can result if your movie wins a major award like an Oscar. If you're a performer who wins something like this, your your dollars per film will go up. Like there's there's a lot of reasons that people want to win these awards. But at the same time, it's like, okay. Are we actually going to award the person, if this is called best performance for a given year, is this really the best performance? No, you're awarding them for the best performance over the last decade. And if it was called that, I'd have less of a beef with it. But when you have a younger up and coming person who is exceptional and suddenly three years in a row, they get a nomination and three years in a row, it's like, well, so-and-so needs a makeup Oscar hold on young person. It's like, are you kidding me? Uh, this bugs me to no end. And, uh, it happens, you hear about it and it happens certainly the most with Oscars, I think over, over a lot of the other awards, but I don't know. I don't really like, I don't really follow the Tony. So I can't say if this happens in theater, um, the, the Grammys, they don't seem to, to, to have this in, in as far as I know, but it, it happens with the Oscars all the friggin' time. And this is the word that, that I follow the most and it bugs me to no end. So that's my number three pet peeve is the makeup Oscar for people who are being awarded for previous work instead of for what they're doing right here and right now. You could argue that in 20, whenever it was, I can't remember what year it was, when Return of the King won Best Film, it was really, it won for all three movies. So yeah, I, I, know what you're, Oscars. Yeah, I know like, what you're saying. Seriously? Yep. Yeah. This happens all the time. I agree all the time. Yeah. It happens all the time. Yeah. I'm with you on that. Okay, my number three, Hollywood movie formulas. So I was explaining this to my wife recently, and then when I explained it to her, she was like, wow. I never realized that, but you're right, it's true. So almost every movie ever made has the exact same formula. And it goes like this. Boy meets girl, 
boy loses girl, boy gets girl back. Every single movie ever made, almost every single movie, follows this exact formula. And even if it doesn't explicitly involve a romantic interest, the formula is exactly the same. We meet the characters, something good happens, then everything goes to crap in the second act, and then everything was resolved in in the final act. And if you just think about just just the last few movies that we've covered here on the podcast, like Man on Fire, right? Mm -hmm. Denzel Washington gets hired to protect the girl. Girl gets kidnapped. Denzel gets revenge. We did war games recently. Kids have fun playing on a computer. Computer starts World War III. Kids save the day. Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, we did before that. Kirk comes back to the Enterprise, reunited with his crew. Khan steals a ship and everything goes bad. Kirk saves the day. And another great sequel, Superman 2. Superman falls in love with Lois Lane. Bad guys come destroy the Earth. Superman returns and saves the day. It's an age-old formula, and it works, so I get why they keep using it. But it's ubiquitous. And when movies fall outside this formula, that's when they really stand out to me. Something like Pulp Fiction or Memento, for me, are not just non-linear in their storytelling. They break the old Hollywood formula. And so I, that's why they always stand out to me. So it's just, it, it's a formula that's used in every single movie that's ever been made, pretty much. And it's just, it's just something I've always noticed and kind of had a little bit of, it just irks me a little bit. So I wanted to bring it up. Nice. It's a good pick. I, I, I'm not bothered by that as much as you are. Um, but to, to, it's, I guess your- it doesn't, it doesn't bother me. So it's just, it's just, oh, here we go again. Here we go again. Yeah. Ah, here's the, you know, in the second act, everything goes to crap. First act I think, sets it up, second act goes to crap, third act gets resolved. Yeah. It's just the same I, thing. Yeah, I think I think for me it's it's not so much that the formula bothers me. It's it's more that because I'm so familiar with the formula, when something doesn't follow it, I, I pay closer attention. And in many cases, you're like, wow, that was great. And sometimes you can't put your finger on why you really like it. And the more you think about it, you realize it's because it breaks that formula. And, and I think that that says a lot about a certain kind of movie. So – Anyway, all right. right. Number two. two, My number two actually sort of flows out of that. Uh, We're also going to talk about formulaic storytelling. Okay, good. So my number two pet peeve, and this is a big one for me, is the total wrap up at the end of a series. So what I mean by this is let's use a show like Friends, for example. Again, I'm just trying to think of one off the top of my head. Where you have six main characters and every week they get in different adventures and these characters do this and these characters do that and you follow them for how many seasons was was friends 10 years had to be close to 10 years on the air and every season stuff happens and you have your finales and your in your special episodes and all that jazz and then when the show's over when the last episode in, in the case where the people making the show know this is the last episode of our show. It's not like they got canceled. And they're like, oh, we don't, we never resolved anything. It's like when they know this is our last season, this is our last episode, suddenly everybody has some sort of life-changing, life-altering experience in like the last episode and go their separate ways and have complete closure. And you sort of think to yourself, well, we did nine seasons in a row where this totally didn't happen. You know, like you don't have closure. Life goes on. But – you know, you get your finale and it's like these people move away and this person gets a promotion at their job and this person suddenly has a whatever. And it's it bugs me so much when shows feel the need to give everybody a happy ending to their individual story that makes no sense that these would all happen at the same time. I'm not saying the characters shouldn't get closure and I'm not saying that they don't 
you know, potentially deserve the things that are thrown at them in the course of the show. But it always feels so contrived when it happens. And it's it's every single character has something where, oh, my God, my life has changed. I'm so glad I didn't miss this episode. It's it just bugs me so much when they feel the need to not just wrap up a show, but give everybody their own little individual perfect wrap up tied up with a bow done. Like in my mind, even though the show is at the end of its run, in theory, if for some reason the show was ever to start up again, you should be able to just pick it up and continue to follow whatever sort of formula or story you'd been using up until then. But most of these kinds of shows, it's like, no, we're basically cutting it off and there's no possible way you could ever continue the story. And if you feel there's no way this story could ever continue because they've wrapped it all up, then that's the kind of show I'm talking about where I have my pet peeve. So that's it for me. The the number two, the the final wrap up at the end of a series. Oh, I get it. Okay, my number two, <clears throat> empty beer bottles. <laughs> okay, so I used to be a restaurant and bar manager, as you know, Derek, back in the day. And let me tell you, when a patron finished a beer, you took away the beer bottle. But not in the movies. This has become a pet peeve of mine since my bar running days. So I I cannot tell you how many times I've noticed in movies and TV. There's a scene in a bar and you've got the actors sitting there at the bar in a booth or at a table, whatever. And they're surrounded by empty beer bottles. And I get it. I mean, the director wants to convey that the characters have been there for a while or that they're drunk. But this just does not happen in real life. And it's everywhere. In the Blues Brothers, when they play Bob's Country Bunker, or if it's St. Elmo's Fire, whenever they go to St. Elmo's Bar, all those bar scenes and about last night. My wife likes to watch old episodes of How I Met Your Mother. And they sit in a booth with beer bottles everywhere. And it's basically a movie like Cocktail or Roadhouse. It's the whole movie. The whole thing. They just never take away the empty beer bottles. I think once it's one of those things, once you see it, you'll never unsee it, and you'll notice it's everywhere in pop culture, and it's a pop, It's a real pet peeve of mine, so I had to bring it up. So when you said empty beer bottles, I thought you were going to go the other way with that and say that what bugged you is when actors clearly were, were using bottles as props where they were supposed to be drinking out of them, but they're clearly empty. But that's that, not that's one of my, that's one of my honorable mentions. I'm going to bring up because oh, I you know, that's fine because that is another one of mine too. But no, yeah. you're right. Yeah. Okay. Honestly, the beer bottle thing. I'm not a big beer guy, so that never bothers me because honestly, I couldn't care less because that's never me. I, I don't even realize that that's. The, it, I mean, when you say it, it makes perfect sense because I've been out with people who are big beer drinkers, and you're right. A decent restaurant, the server's going to come around so fast because they want you to get another one. They want to. Hey, it's empty. Boom. You want another one? And here it comes. Yeah, they're not going to let you. Uh, they're not going to come and put another beer in front of you and leave the empties there. No, that just seems Doesn't silly. Happen. No, but uh, you, you not but, to mention not to mention if you got all those empties and someone bumps the table, now you got broken beer bottles everywhere, and that's exactly. just a mess that nobody. You'll wants. notice it now. You'll notice it. Movies. I probably will. Yeah. No, that's You'll be like, oh, Chris is right. Yeah. All right. So I have I have I stepped on your honorable mention. That's I okay. have. I had two honorable mentions. You've already talked about the driving one, so yes. I don't have to go on that. The other one to me was originally on my list, but um, after I mentioned it to a few people, they basically said, nobody's going to understand what you're talking about. This just makes you sound like a curmudgeonly old person. Basically, it makes you sound like Chris. I'm like, oh, geez, okay, well, we don't want to put that on the list. So <laughs> That's my job. <laughs> my honorable mention is the absence of song information. So what I mean by this is in the digital age – There's no reason when a song comes on your streaming service or a radio station or if you're old like me and you watch music videos, that it should not in some way inform you about the name of the song, the name of the band, 
maybe even the name of the album and maybe even the year it came out. Those are the things I'm always, especially for older songs, those are the things I want to know. And this has always been a pet peeve of mine on the radio where they're like, you know, here's 10 more in a row. Yeah, you didn't tell me what any of them were called. Um, so that that's that was an honorable mention for me, just the the absence of those things. I mean, now everyone gets music through digital, through their phone or, or through streaming services. And most of the streaming services that I've listened to provide that stuff. So it's certainly more readily accessible now than it was when we were younger. So it's less of a pet peeve today because it's not really that big a deal anymore. Do you have any honorable mentions, Chris? I do. I have a couple. So uh, one, like uh, we, we mentioned, <clears throat> whenever someone's drinking out of a cup, whether it's coffee or something like that, and the, it's so clear that the cup is empty. I see that all the time, pet people mind. Yeah. Another one that I have is when they have uh, like sex scenes in movies and they're wearing clothes underneath the covers. That's just not realistic. I mean, I'm not saying there's got to be nudity or anything like that, but I mean, you know, I'm married. I got two kids. That's not how it works. And the other one for me is there's so there's there's a couple bands that whenever a song of theirs comes on the radio, I actually turn the radio off. True story. Yeah, I have a I have a couple like that. My wife always smiles because I'm really consistent with this. We'll be driving down the road, and the radio's on, and a song comes on. I just shut off the radio. And then a few minutes later, I just turn it back on. I don't want to mention who the bands are because I've made comments on the podcast before about some of these bands and it's gotten me hate mail. So I'm just going to leave it at the fact that there's there's, <laughs> there's certain bands when I hear their songs, it's a pet peeve. So I just turn off the radio. All so right. When, we, when we're done the recording, we can have a side conversation because yeah. I, I have a few that I'm going to share with you as well. Uh, not, I'm not quite that bad, but I definitely would change the station if I have that option. Yeah. So, okay. No, good one. Okay. So you ready for my number one? Please. What is it? I have mentioned this before, probably on many podcasts and it wouldn't surprise me if you have the same one, but you probably don't. It's when you're watching something, whether okay. it's a TV show or a movie or a miniseries or anything like that, where you get a scene and then after a couple of minutes, it goes 24 hours earlier and then the it, it just shifts back. That to me is my number one pet peeve with pop culture. <laughs> I don't mind a nonlinear story. We we we've talked about a few of them on the podcast. Yeah, you just mentioned Pulp Fiction yeah. and Memento, two amazing examples of fantastic movies with nonlinear storytelling. But this whole this whole formula of show me showing me a scene, which usually has some misdirection involved, and then 24 hours earlier or one week earlier or something like that. Oh my God, does that bug me? Like to no end that bugs me. Now, when I was, when I was in high school and when I was in university, I studied, I did a lot of creative writing. Uh, like I was studying creative writing uh, as part of my course. Like I was doing communications. I was doing English literature. I was doing journalism and I was doing creative writing. Like my original goal was to be a professional writer in one way or another. And part of what I thought I was going to do was write books and stories and all that. So I can be very critical of the way certain stories are crafted, partly because I took a lot of uh, a lot of courses. I've had a lot of training and I've, I've learned, I've, you know, I've studied a lot about good storytelling techniques and when you follow the rules and when you can break the rules and all that stuff. And, you know, like we, we do this podcast, like we're movie guys and uh, it bugs me so like almost every single show I've watched 
has at least one episode where they do this. And so many movies rely on this. And it's, oh my God, it's just such lazy storytelling. It bugs me so much, especially when you have the misdirect. Like one of the ones that bugs me the most is the movie Starship Troopers, where at the beginning it's like a news reporter and he's like, here we are on the alien planet and the, the Marines are fighting the bug aliens. And, uh, and then the main guy runs into the camera. And he's like, get out of here. They're all here and we're dying. Uh, and then you see him get killed. And then it goes like, one week earlier and of course he's alive and you're like oh geez we better pay attention this guy's only got a week to live <laughs> and then halfway through the movie you get the scene and the guy gets attacked and then the next scene he's like well that was a very devastating attack it's a good thing you didn't get killed fortunately our medical officer was standing right next to you and you're fine and then go on and finish the rest of the movie and you're like oh for yeah <laughs> this bugs me so so much don't rely on this 24 hours earlier idea every show does it it's lazy storytelling. It angers me to no end. That is my absolute, without a doubt, number one pop culture pet peeve. You must have absolutely hated the backwards episode on Seinfeld. I don't know if I know that. Oh, I, I honestly have only seen about half the episodes of Seinfeld. Oh, God. oh man, we need to talk about that. Um, there's an episode, I think it was in the, the final season of Seinfeld, where the whole thing is back, goes backward. And it's like... You know, a day earlier, a week earlier, you know, 30 seconds earlier, and it just keeps going backwards. But I think if it went, if you continue to go backwards right. like that. Yeah, because it's all, again, it's all part of the formula. So it you play works. with the format. Yeah, and, exactly. and that to me, that is, that is a creative way to try something. Yes. But just this thing where it's like, you know, you pick a show. Grey's Anatomy does it. House used to do it. Uh, Friends has probably done it. Like all of these shows, dramas, comedies, like all the genres have done it at some point. And I'll be honest, there are some where I watch and I go, oh, that was clever. But I'm like, for the most part, when I see that, when my wife and I are watching TV together and that comes up or we're watching a movie <laughs> and it's like one week earlier, 24 hours earlier, she just looks at me and goes, like, oh, okay, you've Look got out. 30 seconds, rant. And then I'm like, oh my God. And she's like, okay, I don't want to hear it anymore. We're going to finish watching this now. But yeah. The number one pet peeve, the 24 hours earlier. Oh, bugs me to no end. Nice. Okay. My number one. I call this one the fruit stand and it happens way more than you'd ever think it's one of those things you probably never really noticed or maybe you just something you just don't think about but you will now now that i've mentioned it trust me and you will see it all the time so in movies whenever there's a car chase of any kind the car will inevitably always run into a fruit stand and you might think i'm crazy by saying this but when you start watching for it derek you're gonna go Oh my God, Chris, you're right. It's everywhere. So sometimes they'll replace the fruit stand with like garbage cans, but the fruit stand is by far the most popular. So I don't know about you. Maybe it's just the city that I live in or the part of the country that I'm in, but I don't see too many fruit stands in my regular day-to-day -day life. But anytime there's a car chase in a movie, suddenly, magically, a fruit stand not only appears, but it gets completely demolished by the car in the chase scene. So if you think about Raiders of the Lost Ark. Every Herbie the Love Bug movie ever made. You remember the movie The Rock? In the I movie, love that movie. The Mummy. Every single solitary James Bond movie that has ever been made. I remember my wife and I once were on a cruise about seven years ago, and they were showing Skyfall. That's the Daniel mm -hmm. Craig one. And yep. so we went to watch it, and there's a big car chasing, and they, they're going through this marketplace, and I don't know, what some, some country somewhere, wherever it is. And I turned to my wife, and I said, fruit stand's coming. And just in both cars, just demolish a rig row of fruit cart front carts. I'm just like, <laughs> see? Like, I'm telling you, if, if you were watching a movie, and there's a car chase in it, 
If you see a stand with oranges on it, it's going down. That's all I can say. Like, so, I, and the thing is, in reality, if you drove your car into a fruit stand full full of fruit, it would probably be totaled. You would total your car, but not in the movies, of course. So it's my number one pop culture pet peeve, and I yell it out every time I see it. I'll be watching a movie like fruit stand happens all the time, and let me tell you, well, you're going to be watching movies from now on, and you're going to be like, oh my god, Chris is right. So my number one pet peeve is the fruit stand. Okay, I honestly, I, 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 now that you've said it, I'm like, okay, yeah, I, I remember that in some cases. Oh, so all the time, I'm gonna be looking for it now. Oh, and all the time, it, it's gonna be one of those things I can't unsee, and then I'm gonna, you know, be and very angry be like, at oh you. My but goodness, you're right, Chris. This happens all the time. So, so Chris, I wonder yes. what what would be the likelihood? Yes, where we're watching a movie mm-hmm. that starts off and then says 24 hours earlier, then they use the first names way more than they should. The lead guy doesn't wear his helmet. Mm-hmm. Um, he meets and, a girl. Uh, and they're, they're, there's empty beer bottles on the table. Mm-hmm. And then they drive the car without looking. And then they crash in the fruit stand while they're driving without looking. And then you hear this really bad ADR recording. And then at the end, there's this really bad wrap up. Like, what do you think the odds? Yeah. And then, and then of they meet the a girl and then the loser. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Like, what do you think the chances are that we could get all 10 of these in one <laughs> show, episode, TV, something like that would just be. Well, wow. one thing we know for sure would annoy the hell out of us <laughs> that's for sure yeah oh, for sure <laughs> no question all right okay on that note let's have some fun with caveman okay so pet peeves obviously annoy us and along the same vein as pet peeves are annoying movie and tv characters okay so, so derek i'll tell you what we're gonna do we're gonna see how many annoying movie and tv characters that you can name i'm gonna give you a description you name the character Okay. Just a character, or, or do I need to tell you what show or movie they're no, from? Or is that going to be part of the clue? No, no, just I'll probably be part of the clue. So just, okay. I always want the character. See if okay. you can name the annoying character. Okay. 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 All right. Starting with an easy one. His name is annoying. His walk is annoying. His speech patterns are annoying. His total existence is probably considered by most people to be the single most annoying and maybe the most racist character in the history of film. Derek, Misa thinks you can easily name this annoying character. Oh, uh, Jar Jar Binks. That is correct. Yes, Jar Jar Binks. Very annoying. All right. In what is probably the worst casting decision in the history of movies, this character was supposed to depict a descent into the temptations of darkness. Instead, he was depicted first as an annoying little boy and then a poorly acted, scowling young man. Derek, who is this annoying dark lord and genuinely bad father? I, I have absolutely no idea. None. No clue. What, what series of films do I absolutely hate a trilogy from? I, uh, Chris, I have no idea. It's Anna, no clue. Anakin Skywalker. Oh, okay. So We're sticking with Star Wars, are we? Okay. Yeah, for those ones, anyway. Okay. Gotcha. So this sidekick of Indiana Jones oh. showed up, thankfully, for only the first sequel in the franchise. He was basically a walking stereotype and considered by most people to be one of the most annoying characters in the history of film. Derek, can you name the annoying sidekick of Indiana Jones. Yeah, it was short round. You are correct. It was short round. Okay. 
That was the actor that was in the Goonies, right? Same yes. guy? Yes. Yeah. Yes. K.I. Kwan. Okay. Considered by many to be the epitome of annoying kids, these two grandchildren of John Hammond were the worst part of an otherwise excellent film classic Jurassic Park. Derek, can you remember the first names of Hammond's grandchildren? No. Not at all. I, I'm like, you're reading the clue, and I'm like, oh, those are the kids from Jurassic Park. Yeah. Ask me what movie they're from. And then you gave me the – and I'm like, I – no. I, I couldn't even – I can't even guess. I don't remember. I blocked it from my memory. They were <laughs> They're terrible. so annoying. Tim and Lex. Were their sure. Names. Okay. Uh, in, like, in, in what was probably the single most racist performance – Ever given in the history. Mickey Rooney. <laughs> you got it. Congratulations. Oh, yeah. oh man. <laughs> I didn't even have to finish the clue. Do you want the rest of the clue anyway? <laughs> this, this former child actor chewed up the scenery and distracted from Audrey Hepburn's award-worthy performance in a movie based on Truman Capote novel. So I wanted to know this non-Asian child star who gave the world the annoyingly racist character of Mr. Yunioshi. Congratulations. You're right. Yep. Mickey Rooney. Didn't even as soon as you said most racist performance, I'm like, I think I know where you're going with this one. Yeah. God, that was annoying. Oh, such an annoying character. Okay. Annoying many fans of the first two films, the director of The Godfather decided to cast a family member in a key role. Not only was she a terrible actress, she helped bring down the entire film and annoyed audiences around the world. Derek, can you name the actress that was the beneficiary of nepotism when it came to uh, casting this annoying character of Mary Corleone in The Godfather Part 3? Yeah, what's, uh, uh, what's her first? I think it was, it was Coppola, Sofia Coppola? You are correct. Yes. Wasn't sure if that was the first time I can remember. Sofia Coppola. Uh, Good director, terrible actress. Okay. Scooby-Doo. Favorite cartoon for many Jet Xers, as you know. However, the appearance of Scooby's nephew only served to annoy audiences with his overconfidence and sayings such as, let me at him and puppy power. Derek. Oh, yeah. Can you name Scooby-Doo's annoying nephew? Yeah, it was um, Scrappy Doo. Scrappy Doo is correct. And yes. He was definitely annoying. He was annoying. Okay, in the I know you know this this TV show, the monumental TV show Lost. In that show, two characters were suddenly introduced in season three, and the producers tried to pretend that they'd been part of this whole island group all along. Now, faithful fans would have none of that. And the backlash from annoyed audience members was so strong, the characters were killed off later in season three. Can you name the annoying couple who showed up on Lost only to be killed off shortly shortly after that? Yeah, I sure can. It was Nikki and Paolo. That is correct. Paolo and Nikki is right. Okay. Although intended to act as a, a voice of morality... To balance the criminal actions of the lead character, this female character was so despised by fans that it caused actress Anna Gunn to write a commentary for the New York Times in 2013 explaining the character's motivations. Yeah, it was it was for Breaking Bad, and she was what was her name? It was Walter White, and they were married, so it was her married name would have been White. What the heck was her first? I can't think of the character's first name. <laughs> 
Skylar White. Skylar. How did I forget? Yeah. And yeah, no, I I, I totally, I, I, I didn't find her annoying to a point where I disliked her. It was like the character was annoying and she did an amazing job playing it. But when you binge watch that show, you really understand like her point of view a lot better than when you watched it week to week. So that that's one that I got to disagree with the, the populace on that one. But that's just me. I don't know. I, I know a Not lot of take, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm pro Skyler. Yeah. No, a lot of people, they def- definitely didn't like her that much. So, okay. Although she's basically the only innocent and non-criminal character in the film, Bruce Willis's girlfriend in Pulp Fiction has been considered by many of the film's fans to be very annoying. Whether it's her love of blueberries or her desire to have a pot belly, this character has been annoying fans of the movie since 1994. Derek, what is the name of the character? Uh, I think it's <laughs> even one for of, fans of the I movie, think it's, it's tough. Fabio or Fabio? I think it's Fabio. Very close. It was it was Fabienne. Fabienne. Yeah. And honestly, the only reason I remember that is there's the scene where he's in the shower and he's like making fun of her. And then yeah. she's like, I hate that mongoloid voice. Um, <laughs> but that's the only reason I remember her name. But yeah, she is super annoying. She's like, I wanted the blueberry pancakes. It's like, oh, yep. he even says he's like, just get on the damn motorcycle. <laughs> she's like, I wish I had a pot belly. Yeah. He's like, yeah. punch you in it. <laughs> so just, uh, yeah. So, OK, so you did pretty good. Pretty good, Mr. Yeah. Cabell. I was a little surprised you didn't ask a question where the answer was King Joffrey from Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah. I so thought he was got to be one of the most annoying. And and same idea like with the Skylar character. He did such a good job playing this super annoying character that the fans, like, there was the backlash. And he's like, okay, then screw it then. I'm just going to stop acting. Like, I, I don't need this. And I don't, uh, I don't see his characters being annoying as more just it's a character you just hate. You that's know, true. That's you know, true. so it's, it's like he did it so well because you, you hated him, you know. Yeah, um, OK, so next episode, my turn to nominate a movie. So, Derek, most of my movie picks, especially recently, have been from the 80s. Rightly so. I'm the Gen X guy around here. Right. But I, I'm going to go back a little bit further. OK, for next week. Not, not too much. Only two years back into the 70s. But we're going back into the 70s. We're going to go. So, Derek, I want to go back to the year 1978 for next week. I want us to go back and watch a classic movie. And I want to see how it stands up after all these years, because I have not seen this movie in a long time. I'm talking about the movie that I bought you a T-shirt for. It's the 1978 Burt Reynolds classic Smokey and the Bandit. Nice. So we're nice. going to watch Smokey and the Bandit. We're going to see how this works out. I don't know how it's going to go. But uh, I, I know I really enjoyed that movie a lot, you know, when I was younger. So we'll see how it, how it holds up. That's for sure. So nice. you, you, up, you I, up for the challenge? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I watched it in its entirety, like maybe four or five years, probably right around the time when, no, it would have been before the T-shirt because it was – Probably about four or five years ago, I remember watching it and because I hadn't seen it in its entirety until then. And then when we were getting those free movie channels a couple of months ago when uh, when the quarantine started, it was on. And I happened to catch like the last 20 minutes because whatever was coming on next, I'm like, oh, I want to watch that. And then it was the end of Smoking the Banner. I thought I was watching the end of this. Uh, but again, without having seen the, the hour before, the end just really didn't feel very – satisfying because I, I couldn't remember half the movie so i'm looking forward to uh to going back to it and you know what i i think my wife might have recorded it on my on the pvr it might actually still be on my pvr so bonus for me nice. I, i'm pretty sure it's available on netflix anyway so you could probably watch it on there perfect 
So. Now, Chris, let me ask you this. Yeah, Maybe of course. This is, it's stepping on next week's toast. Mm-hmm. I know with a lot of the Burt Reynolds movies, especially like some of the comedies, they do a lot of outtakes during the credits. Do you remember if this one has outtakes during the credits? Oh, I can't remember for sure. I I, I don't I don't know. I don't think it does. I mean, I know for sure that Hal Cannibal Run did Cannibal did. Run. Like, I mean, yeah. that's, it was notorious for that. But I don't know if they did it in Smoking the Bandit. I okay, guess we're going to no, find we'll out. We'll find out when we watch the movie. I can see it's been so long since I've seen the movie, so... I am looking forward to doing that. So, so that's what we'll do for next week. Watch Smoking the Bandit. Come back. Until then, like I mentioned at the top of the show, if you want to be part of the community around here, we want to have you. You can join us. You can get us on Twitter at Amaron underscore DM for Derek or at C McBrien for me. And of course, uh, you can join our uh, Facebook page. Just search Pop Goes Your World on Facebook or popgoesyourworld.com. If you want to reach out to us, please do. And in the meantime, this is Chris McBrien for Derek Byers saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. Music.